seems to work the best for me and especially for a guy doing it himself who doesn't have all this you know all these other competitors that they've, they've dieted down and you know have all the experience and stuff it's like well it's much easier if you keep it simple and watch your body change and just kind of maintain it that way and then you don't have to do the carb up the depletion and stuff like that i mean when i did the west coast this year it was the easiest prep i've ever done it was amazing yeah you know with bodybuilding it, it has a very specific there's very specific path and if, if you talk to veteran bodybuilders and, uh, you know, you ask them kind of newbie questions, they're like, <laughs> they just shake their head. They're like, no, 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 kid. Like, that's not the way it works. It's hard to understand because especially this day and age, there's so much new information flying at your face all the time about uh, branch chain amino acids and intermittent fasting and fish oil. And just, you just see all these things, right? But when you talk to the old timers, they're, They'll talk to you very kind of calm, very slow, and they'll say, no, it's six meals a day, <laughs> and you're going to have your protein, your carbs, and fats. It's going to be broken down a little differently for some people, uh, but in most cases, we're going to strip away a lot of the fat that you're going to eat, and we're going to probably keep the protein very high, and then the carbs is where we get some individual depending on how much somebody trains or how much somebody car how much cardio somebody needs, their background. Like if you're a fat kid, <laughs> maybe yeah. you're not eating as many carbs, right? But that's and and two a day training is very common, uh, whether it's uh both for lifting or for lifting and cardio. Mm -hmm. And like that's the recipe and there's it doesn't get any more complicated than that, but it's very hard to do all that. It is just a lot of work. I always you know, it, it really is like your mind has to be there. So, you know, when you ask somebody, hey, when are you going to compete? They're like, oh, I don't know. You know, you're like, yeah, I get it. You got to know when you're ready. Because, you know, when you approach something like this, it is. It's, you know, you may give yourself a Sunday where you rest a little bit. But other than that, it's Monday through Saturday. You're up at the same time, generally early, especially if you have to have a job to get there and get the day started and then work. And then when you finish with work, you train and you eat all day long. I mean, it, it's a it's a lifestyle. It truly is. You know, okay, I'm going to live my life in this monk-like fashion for just a little while or as long as I want and see what kind of shape I can get in. But it really is, those are the only things that are required. I mean, I think all the intermittent fasting and the tricks, you know, keto dieting and or, you know, carb cycling, all that stuff probably works pretty well, you know. I feel like the one thing that is required is consistency and hard work and... I mean, really, that's just about it. The rest I like what you said right there, because you, you said it probably works pretty well, which gives me the uh, insight that nobody's really messing with that when they're getting ready for a bodybuilding show. Maybe not nobody. That's not, not the right word, but yeah. most people are not messing with some of those little tricks no. going into a show, no. right? Not unless you're paying somebody who, you know, who does it consistently for a lot of different people and has a system down. I mean, those people are messing with it, and, right. and they get pretty complicated, but... Yeah, most of the guys that I know at Gold's, um, they're not messing with that stuff. Right. You know, they're just eating their meals, doing their cardio, training. Now, off-season, you might try some different things. Maybe uh, maybe you bulk up for a little while. Maybe you don't even diet for a little while. What does some of that look like? For me, um, the way I use the off-season is exactly that. It's like, for one, you start an off-season with, okay, this is the things that needs to change with my physique. You know, for example, for me, it's my lower lats needed to come in, my upper chest needed to get bigger, and, of course, just fullness through the arms and shoulders, stuff like that. So I pick those things. And then that time, your off-season, is a time where you kind of experiment, you know, whether it's diet for fullness slash hardness slash metabolism or, you know, all the different stuff you do in training. 
I always feel like that's where you experiment and find out, answer all the questions that you had from your last prep and start developing a plan for your next one. And so that's what my off season has always been is improving the physique. Obviously is, I mean, that happens all the time. We look at ourselves all the time every day and, you know, multiple times every, a yeah. day. I mean, in every the mirror, car window I pass. Reflection you know, of the car. Like yeah, that. car went any window. Any man. window, yeah, right. whatever. It's now, what about there. when you get a little fluffier? I try not to get very fluffy. My rule of thumb is if I wake up in the morning and you can't see that I have a six-pack, I'm too fat. Mm. So that's that's what I try to do. Plus, you know, going back to the whole the whole thing about consistency and stuff, I really feel you like- hear that, Andrew? If you can't see his six-pack, he's too fat. In the morning. Right out of bed in the morning, if you can't see your abs. You got to start doing sit-ups, bro. Too fat. <laughs> um, you know, it goes back to consistency. One thing I really find is I don't like to eat anything really but diet food. My body doesn't function right. And since I'm crazy addicted to training, if my training doesn't feel good, then my day doesn't feel good. So I just kind of, I keep it pretty clean in the off season too and, and don't necessarily get all that fluffy. At least I try not to. Usually I don't. I don't have much problem with that. What would be the main difference? Just a caloric surplus, maybe. Yeah, um, you know, maybe you're not weighing stuff. Yeah, I, some. Yeah, that's probably it. You know, handfuls of chicken instead of eight ounces of chicken. You know, probably more ground beef or denser protein stuff like that. Um, the meals are obviously much bigger, and so a lot of times it would go down to like five meals a day instead of six. But those five meals are just bigger, and it takes a little while for digestion and stuff. But uh, that's really the main difference, food wise. I got really good advice from Rico, who Rico McClinton yeah. used to train with Charles. He always told me, he said, you keep the muscle the same way you got the muscle. So training never really changes. Hmm. I don't really change my training very much. I mean, you adjust it basically to be safe, but you go as heavy as you can, and you really try to hold yourself to that same level of intensity, you know, like 20% conservative. So you're not benching 600 pounds every day, but, you, you know, my rule is I try to make sure that Back day, chest day, and leg day, I always touch 405 somewhere. Hmm. That way I just make sure that I'm still doing something heavy. You're handling something. How do you, how do you uh, when you're prepping for a bodybuilding show, I know you're a very strong guy. You and I talked in the yeah. gym a little bit about some of your numbers. And uh, I think you said you you think you that, or you, you benched over 550 pounds or so, mm -hmm. somewhere in that range. Yeah. How do you... Uh, you know, as you're prepping for a show, even though you're excited and you want to lift heavy and you want to lift with O'Hearn or some of these guys, and I saw some videos of you pushing around some 150-pound dumbbells, I think, and some things of that nature. How do you, like, avoid getting too excited and, and keeping the main goal in mind? The main goal is not to bench press these dumbbells. The main goal is to look good on stage. My training partner, usually. Yeah. I have a pretty good training partner who, who kind of is like, hey, no, chill out a little bit. Um one thing that I do to just kind of make myself calm down is I just slow down the tempo of everything. And so, you know, I really try to not explode as much when I'm in contest prep. So, you know, you come down at like half speed, pause, and then really slowly try to move the weight. I mean, you're still powerful, but I use the term slow is smooth, smooth is fast. You know, and you just kind of really squeeze. And, and so if I change the mentality, you can't go as heavy. And then my joints seem to stay, you know, happier. Because that's really where it hurts for me is like, you know, you go 500 pounds on a bench press, your elbows and shoulders feel it for like three days, <laughs> yeah. you know, and and you can't do that when you're already carb depleted and doing extra cardio and taking supplements that dry your body out a little bit more and stuff like that. I just, that's just not smart. 
Do you get uh, blood work done? I know a lot of bodybuilders are, you know, nowadays are getting blood work done and, and really trying to check in and see how healthy they are type thing. I do. I get blood work done usually once to twice a year. Um, I am guilty of waiting until I feel like there might be something wrong before <laughs> right. I really start thinking about it. Um, but I, I get blood work done at least once every six months. Yeah. My girlfriend's a nurse, so she insists oh, on it. Oh, cool. Um, that's kind of a nice thing is she can read it and we, yeah. you know, I know enough people that I can take it to them, but, um, probably not as frequently as would be advised by a healthcare mm -hmm. professional. Do I do blood work, but I do main, you know, I, I, I keep an eye on myself. Well, look, you know, it's, it's pretty obvious, right? Like when we, when we go in the gym, we smash the crap out of ourselves. If you were to look at the inside of your knee, like we know that the, even if your knee doesn't hurt. We already know that there could be, there are signs they could say, wear. hey, the cartilage is worn. Like there could, you know, same thing with what's going on inside your body with all the excess things that go into trying to become a professional bodybuilder. You already know like blood pressure is going to be yeah. up and like certain times a year, certain things are going to look uh, a certain way. And I also think the blood work thing has kind of gotten a little overblown. Like I, it's, in, it's very important. Mm -hmm. I, I do, I do think that we want to keep people healthy want to make sure we're not using uh losing people young in bodybuilding powerlifting and strongman want to make sure everyone's uh staying as healthy as they can but your blood work is just a snapshot of what's happening at that moment and it may not really mean much of anything especially depending you know especially depending on when you got the blood work done throughout your day and who's reading it you know yeah. right a lot of different things i am um, i had some blood work done uh not too long ago and my C-reactive protein, which is a you know marker of your heart health, right? Is it, it was, or I'm sorry, uh, a marker of inflammation, and it was like through the roof. And they were like, <gasps> but all my other blood work that I've ever had done, it's never been high. Yeah. So I was like, well, I did tear a muscle in my calf, and they're like, uh, I might play into it a little bit, but it shouldn't. And the next time I got it done, of course, it was, it was normal. Me. So. You know, anybody listening to this or anybody thinking about getting blood work done, just realize it's a snapshot. There's no reason to panic. If you feel if you feel good, things are probably okay, and you want to try to make those changes. But it comes back to what you said already in the beginning, which was being consistent. Yeah, having a lot of consistency. A lot of consist. I mean, that's the only way you're going to be able to tell what's going on with your body at all is if you're consistent, and that's in in anything, whether it's training, diet, health. You know, I mean, like you said, blood work's just a snapshot. Well, if you haven't eaten the same thing for two days in a row and you get blood work done on two days, that blood work's going to show up differently. And who knows what it's going to affect, depending on the food. You know, who knows? Um, but yeah, well, they tell you to get it done fasted, right? Like, yeah. what if you didn't get it done fasted? It's going to be did? different, right? So exactly. It, it change your blood work changes a lot. I always, you know, I, I always feel like if you really are consistent and in tune with what's going on with your body, It'll tell you if something's wrong. I, I truly believe that. I, I feel like if you're feeling good, and, and that means, you know, all around feeling good, you have to be pretty introspective. Like, how's my digestion? Do I have any indigestion? You know, how soft is my shit? All of this stuff. And when you think about it like that, it's like, well, do you have a rash on your skin? Is everything clean? You know, all of those things are indicators of whether or not a system in your body is working or not. And that's kind of, you know, like I said, it's probably a little bit half just making myself feel better and half actually, you know, spot on knowledge, but whatever, we'll see. Bodybuilders are insanely uh, detail oriented when it comes to their training, when it comes to the nutrition. Um, but a lot of people kind of view it as quote unquote bro science. And I, and I've, I, whenever I see that, like a lot of that popped up on my uh, YouTube recently. Yeah. 
because I had Hanny Rambod showing me, you know, through some stuff. And people were like, this is bro science. This is bro science. I'm like, man, what does that even mean? Like, what are they talking about? And what they're calling bro science is stuff that has really worked really well for a long time for a lot of people. So I'm like, why would they discredit or discount any of these methods? These are great. Yeah. In my opinion, personally, that is our human testing. I mean, it, bro science is at least done on humans over a good period of time. Maybe it's not annotated correctly and done in the scientific method but you know if that guy did something and he got himself in really good shape and he still feels good and he's not dead well that's probably a good thing he did <laughs> right you know otherwise it, it, and if you think about science well that's just chemicals tested on rats by people who have no idea what fitness is in the first place more than likely i shouldn't say that thing about no idea but you know understanding right. fitness but you know that's not done in the gym that's not done in the same environment and, and i mean yeah we're pretty i don't think Anybody who understand, who knows bodybuilding and knows bodybuilders would say that we were stupid. I mean, they right. might say a lot of other things that are true, like, you know, short-sighted, selfish, shit like that. But we're not stupid. We pay pretty good attention to what the hell we're doing. And, yeah, I would take I would take the advice of a bodybuilder over, over, over a Charles Glass, over a doctor, you know. Right. In, in pretty much any aspect. Yeah, you know, Mike O'Hearn was taking me through some of these exercises and uh – Anybody that would look at it would think, man, that's going to tear your shoulder apart. <laughs> yeah. You know, some of these motions, these side lateral raises where you go all the way up and over your head and things like that. And everyone's like, oh, you're going to tear your rotator or this or that would kill my shoulder. Well, it would kill your shoulder if you didn't use the appropriate amount of weight. Mm -hmm. But you find a weight that's appropriate and actually try the exercise. And then you would like, oh, my God. Like, I got to admit, I thought when he was showing me certain things, I thought they were kind of stupid, too, until I did them. Yeah, I tried them and I was like, ah, I was like, I get it. Yep, move your body around in much oh. many different planes as you can, and for each person, it's going to feel a little different. Yeah, well, and Mike, you know, Mike, he really said, I think one time he was talking about those same shoulder raises. One of his videos where you come all the way up over your head with your palms facing out, and I mean, yeah, that's a rough motion, and a lot of people's rotator cuff wouldn't like that very much. But he made the point that you know you want to stay athletic. You know, you want to stay mobile. And it's not like if you're not mobile, you're going to be able to go pick up those dumbbells and do that motion if you're not already prepared for it. I mean, this is, you know, Mike's been training like that forever. But over time, I believe anybody can develop that sort of flexibility and control right. through the range of motion. You just have to be structurally set up for it, loose enough to do it, and understand what position to put your body in, which, yeah, that's, I mean, that's training. He said no major injuries. Yeah. And I, I, I feel I take a lot from Mike when it comes to that stuff. One of the exercises that I think a lot of people think is crazy is when they do the behind the head shoulder press, where they come all the way down like that. And you know, Mike does it with what three hundred fifteen pounds, four hundred five pounds, something like that. That looks like it's going to throw his shoulders off of his body. But if you arch your back right and really sit in the chair the right way, it's comfortable as hell. Probably more so than a front shoulder press. Right. And that's what I find. I find it amazing. And. and forcing yourself into those positions very similar to a squat i think if you're going to you know really be an athlete you have to be able to squat mm. you have to be able to squat to depth with your back straight because that's that's what athletes do i mean we're able to move our body like that and if you can do that and still get stronger you'll never have those problems and i think you will be preventing injury right. consistently you think that's important also to kind of get into your quads the right way to be able to really be able to tap into your quads. If you're doing more like a powerlifting squat, maybe you're not really hitting the quads the same way. Oh, I think the squat, I 
I, I feel like I have a pretty unique view of the squat because it's completely self-taught. I mean, I was a basketball player and even still, I just barely bought my first pair of Vans. I've always squatted in basketball shoes and everything. And so I really, the only reason I like, I, I started squatting was because I said, okay, if I'm going to do this bodybuilding thing. I'm not going to be one of those six foot tall guys with no legs. Right. So I'm going to have to do this. And I remember I hated them at first. And now literally they're my favorite thing to do at all. Period. And it's so I'll challenging. All day. It is. You live and die in that thing, like Tom Platt says, which don't get me started on that, but it's, it's very true. You know, you, you do. You go to war when you squat. But I have really felt like if you learn the way your legs are supposed to move and the way that they cooperate, the muscles in your legs cooperate with one another to catapult you out of that position, you really kind of understand the physics of the squat and how it works. And you can use it to hit your quads. You can use it to hit your hamstrings and glutes by themselves. You can do all kinds of stuff. And that's, I mean, yeah, the squat, but you have to have full range of motion. Otherwise, that's when the joints get fucked, in my opinion. No full range of motion. Yeah. Your hips get tight, your knees are tight, and then everything's just screwed. Have you seen the Ronnie Coleman documentary by any chance? I haven't watched it yet. I just heard you could watch it. I didn't even know it was out yet, so that's yeah. it's on my list. It's it's pretty damn cool. And it's cool to see that, you know, the weights that he used to throw around and stuff. But there's there's a scene in, in the film where they they talk about how you know, he finished 15th over here and he finished 10th over there and 15th over there. And everyone's just like, like everybody just thought he was a mess. They thought he was like a mass monster, you know, really? and they, 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 but they, know that. they thought he sucked. Like they're like, you know, Sean Ray was like, I just don't even know why. So I don't know why the fuck the guy travels around with us and tries to compete. Cause he's terrible. Like he's not wow. winning. He's not learning. Um, and uh, they actually asked him. They just said flat out, they're like, like, why are you still doing this? Because he, he didn't have the same money as the other guys. The other guys would fly from spot to spot. Ronnie would jump on trains oh, well. and figure out a way to get there, lugging his food around and everything. And um, he was like, what do you mean? He's like, I love bodybuilding. You know, and that was that that's a big deal because it, it means that he's so passionate about it. He didn't even see what was going on. He didn't care. Yeah. And he really was trying to put everything into it that he could, but he was just a raw talent. He mm -hmm. didn't know how to really, he didn't know how to get to that next level, you know? But there's a, uh, I won't give too much away, but basically Ronnie Coleman, he learns and then he becomes, yeah. you know, he becomes the king, right? He becomes the greatest of all time. What are you going to need to do to go from being an amateur to being a pro and not only being a pro, but being a pretty damn good one? Um. You know, I'm still I'm still putting that together right now. That's it's a, that's kind of the fun part of this year. Because you you, been, you mentioned earlier, like about bringing up your uh, your upper pecs and bringing up your lats. And how much do you weigh? Uh, two two seventy two seventy five. Yeah, on it's stage. a crazy yeah. thing to say. Like that things on your body are still small, <laughs> and you're two hundred and seventy pounds, and you're lean as hell. Yeah, I mean, it's such an interesting journey bodybuilding is for me. And uh, you know, yeah, there were there were muscles that have to come up, but now as I've you know really dieted down and I competed in June. And so I've been in shape for a while and people have been seeing me in shape for a while. I really feel like what needs, you know, what, what, what needs to happen for me to be a pro is to present myself like a professional. You know, I feel like I have done the work um, thus far and in, I am in the best shape I've ever been in by far. And I do think I have, you know, a really good package to show in July. But, um, you know, one thing that has really been made clear to me, and it, it started last year. At the end of the USA's last year, I was having a conversation with my mother, and I said, Mom, I'm going to do this again, you know, but I don't think I'm going to use a coach again. I think I'm going to try to do this on my own. It's just it was too much stress, and, you know, I, there was nothing wrong with my coach. He was a great coach, and, you know, he did a great job, but it was just 
I just never was comfortable not making the decisions myself. And so it really mentally, I was just, you know, not happy with it. And so I told my mom this and you know, my mom, she's not into bodybuilding. She's never, you know, lifted weights or anything, but she said, well, Doug, my mom's really good at good advice, but she said, well, Doug, you know, seems to me that's kind of what a professional is, is somebody that knows how to do this on their own and can present themselves accordingly. And I just kind of <laughs> said, well, shit, mom. Yeah, I guess you're right there. I don't have any argument at all. And that's what I've really been thinking about all year is just living the life as a professional, which I feel like I've done. I mean, I'm a personal trainer at Gold's Gym and I train at Gold's Gym and I mean, I live at Gold's Gym. It's, yeah, this is what Flex Wheeler did. This is what Chris Cormier did. I'm doing that and I feel like I'm doing a pretty good job. I'm excited. Um, posing is something that is not my forte. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily the most artistic guy. Uh, nor do I really think, you know, I have some creative flair, but I'm I'm still getting used to and getting comfortable with it. But yeah, that's that's my main focus here is when I go in in Vegas in July is to present myself as the professional that I aim to be um, all around. And that's, yeah, that is, that's, I think, what will get the job done. No, that's huge. And I, I, I urge other people to treat themselves as professionals too when it, when it comes to uh, anybody that I've ever coached or anybody that I ever just give life advice to like we were talking a little earlier about uh, the types of food that you put in your body you know um, maybe not treat yourself like a professional may not apply to everybody but uh, treat yourself better treat yourself better today than you did yesterday yeah you know let's try to get rid of some of the alcohol let's try to get rid of some of the partying or some of the whatever it is that uh, you kind of fall into these into these pitfalls and traps you know, in bodybuilding, the amount of dedication that it takes is is just off the charts. I mean, it's uh, people might look at it and go, "Oh, well, it's a twelve or sixteen week thing to get ready for a show," but it's really a year round process. Oh yeah, and it's a multi year process. You know, you were mentioning how you had to be in shape last year, and that got you to a certain spot. You got, you know, you're in better shape this year, and now as they see you more and more, you're more and more polished every time you yeah, come in. Exactly. And if you didn't diet down and if you didn't get as lean as you are now, then you would never really see the flaws. You wouldn't, and you wouldn't have the knowledge that you have on how to get there. You know, it, mentally and physically, you have to develop, you know, your physique and the way you develop that physique. I mean, mentally is just as important. That's one thing that I think is so important about competing is every time you do it, you learn at least... 15,000 things about yourself that you didn't know six months ago. Yeah. And all of those things can be applied to better that physique later on. And I, f I feel like that's true about any adversity that we put ourselves through or, you know, end up getting thrown into, regardless of how it happens. Through all of that, we learn 15,000 things about ourselves that we can then apply to life down the road. And so kind of like you touched on with bodybuilding, it, it goes everywhere. And I feel like bodybuilding is just kind of like forcing yourself with a sledgehammer to be a better person because you take away all of the distractions and all of the things that could possibly throw you off and put all of your eggs here in this basket. But you still have to conduct yourself outside of that mm. with that same level of discipline and, and focus. And so it carries over. I mean, I have never been a more successful businessman since I started bodybuilding simply because you have that mindset all the time. Do you have to be selfish to be a bodybuilder? I think, I think there's no way to do it without it, you know? A lot of decisions that some people make, you know, even as simple as what to eat, right? A lot of times you make that decision with the group of people you're going to go out with. But if you're the bodybuilder, you're like, nope, we're going here because they got that, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
right. and so but yeah there, you have to be kind of selfish yeah and, you and i talked in the gym about like safe environments and you're like well the you know like whole foods they'll cook up your salmon for yeah. you like it's pretty convenient actually i got a i don't know if you know about the uh oh shit what was it called now i can't remember what it was called. oh the the uh, tilapia ceviche. You ever had oh, that there? I haven't, but I've, I know that they have it. That's yeah. amazing. It doesn't have any oil in it or anything. Really? Oh, nice. But it, it's hard. To, like when you find stuff like that, it's a huge uh, score. Oh, yeah. And where I live in Sacramento, you're not going to really find that. And no, no one gives a fuck. You know, like in most parts of the country, no one cares. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you say no oil or whatever, they're going to dump oil <laughs> on it. At least out here in certain parts of Los Angeles, you go to some of the nicer restaurants or some of the restaurants that are near the gym. Yeah. They've heard it before. They know the bodybuilders, like, no oil, keep everything dry, no butter. Yeah, I was really, actually, you know, when I moved here, I found, I was really encouraged that it was so easy to do that, like, and, and it was part of the culture here. People are like, oh, yeah, I could do that for yeah, you, and no you're problem. like, really? Okay, yeah, cool. You're, you know, you're, you're like, you walk into a breakfast place, and they're like, well, oatmeal and egg whites or whole wheat pancakes and egg whites? You know, which one do you want? And you're like, really? Sweet, this is awesome. You know, there's three restaurants that have a bodybuilder menu, not just the firehouse. There's two other right. restaurants I've been to that have the same kind of like bodybuilder menu. And it's like, wow, this is great. But yeah, when I go home to New Mexico, I really realize it's like <laughs> nobody even, I mean, like you said, they'll dump oil on it. Half the time you tell them, hey, I can't have any oil in there. And they're like, well, which part is the oil? You know, they don't even really understand what they're cooking half the time. Yeah, no, they don't, they don't know. And they don't even understand that the the vegetables and different things, exactly. there's, there's point, they pour oil on everything. Yes, yeah. Which is understandable because it makes everything it taste. Makes every, yeah, it's great. Makes everything. Uh, How else do you cook in a pan? <laughs> yeah, it ma yeah, right. It makes everything else taste good. It's easier. It doesn't stick all over the freaking place and everything. Just use olive oil. That's all people need to do. Just use a little bit of olive oil. So you're from uh, New Mexico? I am. I'm actually from West Texas. I was born in El Paso, but uh, I grew up mostly in New Mexico. Yeah, in Albuquerque. Football? Would you? Would how'd you get into this uh, whole weightlifting thing? Basketball was my thing. Basketball. I played basketball all four years of high school, and then my senior year of high school, I played some football. Um, I got into weightlifting while playing basketball in high school, and even then, that's basically how I ended up on the football team. Was the football coach was in there while the basketball team was working out one day? And they're like, "Who is this guy?" I remember I was like a junior, and I was benching. I think it was. I mean, it wasn't much. It was like two thirty-five, but at 16, 17 years old, that was pretty good. And they were like, "Wow." So they pulled me out on the football team, and then I, I had fun with that. Um, then I joined the Army for a short while, right out of high mm. school. Um, and I still lifted weights. I mean, I knew in high school, I was like, yeah, lifting weights is what I'm going to do. This is cool. You know, I knew that I had a draw to that early on. And I kept it on a little bit, but I never got serious. And then when I got out of the Army, I actually got in some trouble with the law and, you know, kind of messed myself up. And in, that, in recovering from that, started going to the gym with my cousin. And there was an older bodybuilder there. His name's Brian Rafael from New Mexico. A good, he still competes every now and then, I believe. Hmm. Um, and you know, he approached me one day and was like, "You, you ever thought about bodybuilding?" And I was like, "No, I'm much too tall and much too skinny for that. No way." He was like, "You're wrong," you know. <laughs> and then did a little bit of research, and I think a week later, I was like, "Okay, what do we got to do? Let's get this started." And that's it. It was, it was just, you know, something about. You know, like you keep saying, it takes so much discipline and so much dedication. A lot of people, you know, that's a common thing. Everybody talks about that. When people talk to me about that, I, I really say, you know, it's not necessarily dedication. I mean, there are times where I have to sit down and be like, okay, Doug, you know, we're going to focus on this. Like, no, yeah, you, you said you want to be a pro. Like, yeah. let's do it. There right? are times, but for the most part, for the last seven years, I have woken up excited about doing this every single day. And to me, I feel like there's really no other choice 
of a way to live for me. I've tried the other ways. I don't enjoy them. I literally enjoy every single day doing this. So, I mean, maybe that's just I'm blessed. Maybe that's like the same as genetically good biceps is genetically enjoying the process, you know. But truly, that's that's how it's been for me since day one of trying. It's like, oh, so this is how it works. And I remember every moment from oh, if I could just be two ten, I'd be happy forever. You know, that'd be great. And then if I right. could just be two twenty, you know, the it, same evolution. I'm sure everybody who's listening to this can relate in some way or another. Yeah, it wouldn't be uh, a whole lot different than somebody that loves, like, fishing. You know, you're not really going to say, oh, man, it takes so much dedication to go out there, you know, so early and, and, and to fish. But the guy would be like, no, well, no, not really. I just, I <laughs> yeah. love fishing. Exactly. It's exactly and like, that. But you work all week, and then you wake up super early on the weekend, and you fish every week, you know, every weekend, and you spend all this money on these on the boat and all those different things. And, like, I never even thought about it. Right? What else are we going to spend it on? That's what <laughs> yeah. I want to spend it on. Yeah, it's just finding something that you uh, that you love, and that I think is the true the true blessing. And as I've I've realized a little bit more this year how much I truly love this, and like how rare that is. I guess I feel like that's really the thing is in life. If we could all just find that thing, you know, that's it. That's really the goal. I'm just happy that mine became fitness. Well, it's almost a love for it rather than just the pure dedication and you being a savage yeah i mean i I love being yeah i love being strong and i love the work being displayed you know that's that's what i see in a physique you see the work that's been done for that physique that's something that's earned almost like badges on a military uniform you know like you walk around and you're displaying that and to me it's just the fact that I mean, I've built this. You know, yeah. some people have nice cars. I always say, this is my Ferrari, and I wouldn't fit in a Ferrari anyway. <laughs> you know, it's like. It's, it's an interesting thing because, like, you know, when it comes to certain body parts, like calves, for example, you know, I, I know that you can build your calves. I know you can make them better, but you're kind of just stuck with the calves that you got, yeah. sort of, in some way, right? I know there's uh, different things that people are doing nowadays that, <laughs> that can alter some of those things, right? Um. But when somebody's got like a really big back or somebody's got really big hamstrings or quads, the other bodybuilders will flip out because they know that like, yeah, you might be born bigger than the next guy or whatever, but you got to really work for those things. They can't be outsourced. Exactly. You can't have somebody else do that shit for you. No, those, especially those quads, hamstrings, back. That's like, I think legs and back period in the story. You see a guy with big legs and back, you know, he worked his ass off to get him. Yeah. And he's strong as shit. You know, you know, especially a big back. That's one of my. That's one of my bigger indicators. What are some things that uh, fitness and bodybuilding has uh, kind of kept you away from? You mentioned like getting in trouble. Yeah, um, you know, I, I, I have. I've, you know, I'm a drug addict definitely, and have struggled with that for years. I say I'm a drug addict because I always feel like you don't really get away from that. You just learn to live with it and function with it um there's always a pull huh yeah you know i had somebody explain to me really well and the way i always thought of it is your sobriety is a hundred carat diamond that you carry around in your pocket with you at all times so you know you got to keep you think about it like that it's like if you had a hundred carat diamond in your pocket you know not protected or anything just sitting there you check on that shit all the time you're like is that still there is that still okay good we're good and you get you know no i can't go in there something might fall out of my pocket you know stuff like that but yeah, that's one thing I think that I'm a pretty impulsive guy. I'm a really passionate guy. I'm a really emotional guy. And bodybuilding has given me the the channel for that, for all of the passion. It, it has taken up a lot of that. 
and also the physical energy. I mean, some people, myself included, I, I'm really a pretty high energy guy. If I don't go to the gyms, you know, what am I going to do with that energy? I don't know. And so, but that's, that's really, bodybuilding, has, I always say it saved my life. You know, it really, and every step of the way, you, I've lived for it. And so it really, it's been, it's, it's part of me. How did you fall into some of those pitfalls? Um, uh, did you just not have a lot of direction at that time in your life? You mentioned kind of being close to your mom. Yeah, my family has always been pretty good for me, no matter how hard I tried to make them not. Um, I would say that I fell into most of my my problems through self-constructed adversity. You know, I was a stubborn kid that wanted to, you know, I was an adult by the time I was 14, mm. at least I thought so, but really you I was an, an adult. engineering degree, so bigger, stronger, yeah, smarter you know, just, than I was most always, at a young age. Yeah, I was always going, I was always wanting to do something different, and I was real stubborn and and, uh, you know, it just took me a long time to kind of realize that, hey, you know, you can't just make everything the way you want it. Sometimes you got to just kind of settle in and, and play the game and, you know, but yeah, stubbornness and just I made shit hard on myself when I was younger and then spent a good amount of time overcoming that same adversity, mm. which I think is half the reason why I'm able to push through so hard. Some of the other stuff that I have accomplished is simply because, well, I had practice. You know? Right. <laughs> Do you think about some of those things when you're training sometimes? Yeah, you know, one one thing, lately this year, as I have found, you know, a little bit more happiness and, con, you know, being a lot more content with life and excited about life rather than feeling like it's such a struggle, is I think about those things a lot just to simply look at where I'm at now and what I'm doing now and right. the people that trust me with their physical fitness now. I mean, sometimes that really touches me that, like, these guys, they'll pay this kind of money to come work with me six days a week because they think I can really change their life. And it's like, I mean, I, I can, and I do. We, I love it, every moment of it. And so, you know, when I'm training other people, I think about it, and then myself too, you know, I look around and I'm like, I'm at Gold's Venice, you know. I, come on, that's, right. that's amazing. Where was I? And now I'm here? I mean, shit, I'm sitting on Mark Bell's podcast, you know. This is crazy stuff. And that's what I really think about this year. I have let go of a lot of negativity. Hmm. But it did push me quite a bit going forward, you know. Just, it's almost like every rep was digging me out of a hole. And so I've always kind of looked at it like that. This kind of work and this kind of consistency will will keep you focused and on the right path. Um, you mentioned, uh, you know, happiness. Like you would think, we think being like, when people talk about like partying, right? Like doing drugs and going to like a party, right? Or, or drinking, going to a party. You're thinking, man, that'd be, that'd be a blast. Like it, that'd be so much fun just to get high and just fucking chill and you, that's the way that if you, you view it, right? And you think that a lot of happiness is going to come with that. And a lot of these cool other things are going to happen yeah. that happen at, at uh, after parties and things like <laughs> yeah. that, right? And, of course, there are some cool things. Uh, but oftentimes when you talk to someone that was addicted to drugs, they weren't happy at all. Oh, no. There's a lot of negativity. There's a lot. I mean, there's so much that goes into the whole, the whole thing. Where it can get it can get murky and it can get dirty. Well, and you're changing the chemistry of your brain in a real way. So you know, real quickly, once you go down into that rabbit hole and start spending a few days on mind-altering substances, I mean, you're not even dealing with the same person. But you make this mistake of thinking that you are, and that you know, all your decisions change, everything changes. I mean, you, I, there's so much I can sit back and be like, man, I can't believe I was in that position and I did that. What the hell? How did that even happen? Because your your chemistry has changed, right? 
Um, but yeah, yeah, I've lost a lot of people because of that, you know, and it's, and it sucks. And it's just so good to hear people talk about it. Cause it's like, Hey man, let's just get it out there. Let's have more people that can relate to it. And they go, what? Yeah. Wait a second. This big guy, he's 270 pounds on stage. He's, you know, on his way to going to get his pro card. He was addicted to some shit. Yeah, I've been 175 pounds in a jail cell before, you know? I mean, shit's crazy. How long ago was that? I was good while ago now thank god six seven years yeah right at the beginning i mean that's right before bodybuilding yeah you know um it's not even that long ago really not even that long ago life changes quick it does and you know thank god it's far enough away that i don't even really think about it anymore did you have to go through a rehab rehabilitation yeah. process i did when I, I i spent a good four years on a on probation with the state of new mexico and you know Gosh, I'm probably the only guy that's ever been on probation that'll say this, but thank God for those people. I mean, the rehab that was made available to me, it took me a while, and they make it very difficult. I mean, they're like, oh, you don't have a car? You have a job? Cool. Well, I need you to come down here at like 10 a.m., three days a week to pee in a cup. It'll be random, though. So your new job with your new boss, you're going to have to tell them that, you know, like, I got to go downtown in five minutes. I'll be back in two hours. But, you know, keep that job, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. But, I mean, you want to talk about forcing you to, wake up and realize what you got to do in life to to be a normal part of society then they did a good job of that well that kind of stuff it just makes you realize how hard and how stressful it is to live a lie oh god because when you're yeah. addicted to drugs that's all you'll do right because you, you, because you, you you you're addicted mm -hmm. you can't help it and like you said it's not really you anymore uh, at some point it be you know it becomes further and further from you the further and further you go yeah um yeah i mean whew. With my with my brother, you know my my oldest brother Mike, who who passed on, you know from drugs and alcohol and whatever the hell else he was yeah. into from the life, yeah, from the lifestyle. Um, once I once I kind of realized that it, it was no longer him, it, the whole process was a lot easier for me. Not not with his uh, death, yeah, obviously, like that's always sucks. But when he was here, when he was still around, and when we communicate, uh, I can understand when he was actually calling me like as my brother, as we, as I knew him as a kid and when he wasn't, you know, and it wasn't always about him necessarily being high or not high. It was just him going through uh, these, yeah. yeah, him going through these like phases, you know? And uh, it was my wife who pointed it out to me. She said, cause I was just really upset one day I was bawling and I was like, I just, I was like, I can't take it anymore. He's fucking just killing me. It's so stressful. You know, I don't, I don't like, I don't know what to do. And she said, you know, I think the only thing that you can do is to stop applying rational thought to somebody that will not be and cannot be rational. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. It's yeah. Like trying to get water why from am I trying? Yeah, why am I trying to apply my principles to him when he's on a totally different page or chapter of his life? He, he, yeah. he doesn't have the ability. Yeah to be rational that's gone and i was like wow okay and that made everything a lot easier i think that's one of the main steps you know even as the addict um trying to recover from something like that that's one of the main things that has to happen is realizing that yourself like whoa i am actually that messed up right now like you know i really don't have any control and there's a moment i feel like every single addict who's been there who has made it out, even if he, you know, made it out, come back in, whatever. We always realize that at some point or another, we all have a point where we're like, whoa, this is too much, man. What's going on? You know, I think it's just, and that's part of really realizing 
what's scary about drugs is when you actually realize that even you, the most powerful and you know smart and intelligent person in the world, who you've been telling yourself you know for weeks at a time that you're not like everybody else, you can continue to do these drugs and continue to be fine and everything's good. When you finally realize that even you got you know poked in the ass by this, that 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 was one of the main things that really was a paradigm shift for me to be like, yeah. mm, maybe not so much anymore, you know. Yeah, my brother used to always say like. Uh you know, I'd ask him how something was going or whatever. And, you know, and he was in, in and out of jail and in and out of rehabs and stuff. And uh, he's like, man, he's like, it's so depressing around here. He's like, I'm in, you know, I'm in this cell with all these dirt bags. And <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's what society is thinking of you right now. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you, unfortunately, you need to look in the mirror and, and kind of realize that yourself is the one that continues to put yourself there. Yeah. You know, but he was just never able to really uh, turn the corner. You've known Chris for a long time, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I was, you know, I met him at Gold's and was real excited to meet him. Um, I've been real excited to meet all you guys, you know, as soon as I see you all. But, yeah, I've known Chris for a while. And Chris actually helped me through my last, one of my last time, my second to last, you know, battle with drugs. He was, he oh, was there for me. Yeah. He And I had not talked to him about it before. And a friend of a friend connected us and we had a good phone conversation and and that was really kind of how our friendship started wow um i didn't even know i didn't know yeah that. i don't I, I mean i don't even know if he he may not even really know that it was me that he had that conversation with because it was you know right when i almost when i first came to golds and uh, i surely wasn't you know as as known as i am now so mm -hmm. I'm, i mean he may not even remember that that was actually me but yeah he took time out of his out of his night it was like 11 o'clock at night or something and i was gone right but uh you know he offered some real help and some real kind words and uh yeah but i've known him for a while oh that's cool and you've been you've been in uh at at gold's venice for the last about six seven years you said something like that right no, five, I moved here, five I, years i moved here march 18th of 2015 oh so, okay yeah i guess now so it's about three years. three and a half years yeah yeah three almost three and a half so i came out here and competed in a show pretty much right away uh, I actually d competed in the Excalibur, which was December of 2015, mm. and I won the overall there. And then I tore my Achilles the next year. Oh shit! Yeah, I was actually going to do the USA's the same show two years ago. That usually takes like a full year, right? To be an athlete again, yeah, definitely. Like if you were a football player that tore your Achilles, I can see how it would take a year, but not for a bodybuilder. Mm. It took me. I mean, they get, they did the surgery pretty quick. Then I was in a boot for two or a cast for two weeks and a boot for four weeks, and then I was back walking around. Painful. Yeah, it was, it was, it felt like, it felt like getting hit with a hatchet on the back of the ankle. How'd it happen? Popped. I was playing basketball like, an idiot. <laughs> like 260 pounds, you know, running around. You're like, I could still do this. Oh yeah. First I, I went outside to shoot, just shoot around and I was like, oh, this is nice. Maybe I could do a little bit of this for my cardio. I'm in good shape. You know, first full court game I played. That's what happened. <laughs> oh man. I hung my head for a while on that one. Um, when uh, when that happens, my understanding is that it will roll up, right? It will roll up right to the back of your knee? Not quite that high. Mine rolled up about halfway up my shin, and it took my gastroc, the inside part of my calf, and pulled it backward under my knee. So it kind of oh, rotated shit. my calf towards the outside a little bit. Um, but, yeah, it was a complete tear. I remember the scariest thing was right after it tore. You know, it takes you a while, to kind of, like a few minutes, to kind of figure out what the hell happened. And then I went to step on my bad foot and it was like i couldn't even feel the ground no like man. it was like my foot 
you couldn't tell when it hit the ground, when it didn't. And I, that scared me. I just fell to the ground. I was like, oh, my God, am I going to be paralyzed forever? Am I going to be one of those guys that has one of those limps? And, oh, that was rough. Going through all the things that you went through in the past, especially, you know, overcoming the drug addiction and everything, do you feel like gives you uh, some sympathy and some insight into uh, the pitfalls that your clients may fall into with their food? You know, food and drug, it's like, you know, not the same exact thing, but that pulse for people that are heavy, for people that are obese, that are not in the shape that they want to be in, um, that uh, that habit that they that they reinforce nightly, you know, mm -hmm. and they're alone with their own thoughts and they, they got the cabinet and the, the cupboard to go th to rifle through and have cereal and ice cream and whatever yeah. else it is that they, they want to have. Does that, do you think in some way that might help you to be able to communicate with them better? It does. I think one thing that my main goal, any, and, and I am probably not the best diet coach because a lot of times my advice is, well, just do it anyway, you know? And I know that, you know, I do, I see that as some people really have a different relationship with food than I do. And so they may struggle with that, but it's all about just developing the habit. And it's, it's that way with drug addiction too. Once you become sober, you now have to develop the habit of staying that way. And, and it's the same with food. Like once you decide to, to change the way you eat, you have to develop that habit. And so one thing that I've told people is like, look, okay, the first step is to just take your breakfast, well, your first step is to make sure you're eating a breakfast, lunch, and dinner, okay? Let's try that for two weeks. Once you do that, now take your breakfast, cut it in half, and eat, eat it two hours later. Then take your lunch and cut it in half, and eat it two hours later, and then take your dinner and do the same thing. Once you do that for two or three weeks, then we can start looking at what you're actually eating. And so it's, that's how I kind of look at it because that's People how are like two months went by. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, and you lost 15 pounds, feel a lot better and didn't even notice it because you're eating the same food and coming to the gym three times a week. I mean, I feel like I don't care who you are. If I could get you to do that, you'd be sold for life right. and your, your mind would change about food. As soon as we started to show you, okay, now that you're eating like this and your body's processing food, now let's put better fuel in there and watch how much faster you go when they're already going faster and already then it's to me it's like how that's the easiest sell in the world when you start to eat that way it's no longer oh my god i'm so hungry i just am dying for like a burrito yeah or whatever the whatever that craving is the the problem that happens actually more often than not is like two, three hours went by and you're like, fuck, I got to eat again. Yeah. That's, and that's, that's the like, thing. I really don't even almost feel like eating right now. <laughs> well, people just aren't used to sitting down with a knife or, or even with a fork six times a day. You know, that's something most people reserve for probably once a day. Then they eat breakfast in the car on the way to work and lunch. That's actually a know? really powerful statement because I've heard recently. So Jay Cutler came on the podcast. He said he eats seven times, you know, he ate seven times a day for like 10 years. Right. And he's like, fuck that, I don't do that anymore. But, he, you know, he still eats like five or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, I, I thought, wow, like what an incredible amount of discipline. So then I researched it more and I tried to look up, you know, how many times a day the average American eats. And some of the information, you know, it was scattered. It's the internet. Yeah. You, it's hard to find the, the right information. But, you know, one of the reports said that it showed that uh, the average American uh, consumes calories 15 times a day minimum okay so not not even eats right yeah. per day but consumes calories but what you said about sitting down with a fork 
that's a lot different than what the average Americans oh, do yeah. because they have kind of finger foods or or just snacks that they're reaching for or candy bar. Yeah. You know, having a fork and a knife implies that you're probably eating some sort of meat of some yeah, kind. A meal. <laughs> right. An actual an yeah. actual meal. And that makes a big difference. And that's gonna that's gonna um curb a lot of the appetite and a lot of the things that are going on that are driving you crazy where you're just thinking, man, I need to have chocolate or I need to have pie or I need to have ice cream. Oh yeah. Well, and it's the 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 chocolate and the pie and the ice cream. One thing that I've really found is important is just eat a lot of it. Well, yeah, <laughs> eat as much as you can. Um, kind of like that trick with you know back in the back in the day, if you got caught smoking cigarettes, your dad would go buy you a carton and make you sit there at the table and smoke it all. Maybe that's what we should do. Just yeah, have all the chocolate cake you want right now. <laughs> no, but uh, you know, it's it's that first week getting over those first things and. The other thing is maintaining your blood sugar. I think a lot of people, they get those spikes at night simply because our metabolism is so all over the place and inconsistent that, you know, if you haven't eaten since breakfast, your blood sugar is probably going to, I mean, even if you had the biggest, most wonderful breakfast in the world, your blood sugar might be high for four or five hours, then it's going to crash. And that's when we want those sweets and stuff. When you diet, you know, and I, I use the word diet, but it's really when you just eat on a plan. You know, when you're consistently giving yourself nourishment through the day, your blood sugar is much more stable through the day, and those cravings go away. And that's one thing that I've, you know, everybody says that they crave sweets at night. And it's like, well, that's just because you didn't eat enough during the day, and your blood sugar's crashed, and your body's hungry and wants right. some stimulation. Well, also, too, if you're not going to uh, be a bodybuilder, you're not concerned with being, like, totally shredded, um, there's there's some options. You yeah, know, there, you don't there's, have to eat chicken and rice for every meal. Yeah, there's there's other options. I mean, even just having uh, something that I did for a while, even while on a keto diet, was uh, strawberries and uh, some heavy whipping cream. Yeah, I would eat like five of them though. You know, it's not like I'm you know eating this giant bowl exactly. of strawberries and dumping honey and whatever else on it. Yeah, or eating it with ice cream. I just had a couple of them and I was like, well, I, I feel good and I'm going to bed. Yeah, because I've had that fat boy craving for a really oh, yeah. long time. I think another thing that happens people don't understand is that the littlest thing can trigger it. You know, sometimes it's something that's really uh, a really salty meal can kind of trigger it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes um, I noticed uh, even something like uh, crystal light. So, you know, artificial yeah, you things, sweet taste. things that have artificial sweetener kind of like puts you down that path and almost gets you thinking of, of some of those things. Not that those things are that you can't have them. It's just that you should be aware of it. Well, a lot of people don't realize fake sugar, fake sugar still triggers an insulin response, just not as big of one is real sugar. So you still get an insulin response from, from you know, aspartame or sucralose, something like that. And it probably will drop your blood sugar even more because there's no sugar there. And there's a lot of things that will uh, also just, when your insulin gets uh, goes up, you're going to be hungry. Yep. And those, those, those uh, ghrelin releases and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The crave, the cravings are going to, um, are going to creep in. So you have a show uh, coming up in how many weeks is it? Uh, less than three now 19 days july 27th 28th how you feeling i feel fantastic you know i really i've been given that answer to everybody that asked but it's really the truth i really diet's great i mean it, it was really cool to come off of a show that i was successful at and then know that basically it's just maintaining that you want to get a really there. big show right recently what was that's a show? pretty big show it's the west coast classic yeah uh, chris minnis and lonnie teeper put it on it's in riverside um, yeah, that was, that was an awesome experience. I, I prepped for that and won that June 23rd. So I had five weeks, took about a week to decompress and then started back up on the prep for another four weeks. And now we're about halfway through that. 
And uh, as the show gets closer, about how much more weight you think you'll drop? We'll see what happens. You know, I weighed in at the West Coast Classic at 269.8. Um, I really didn't come off plan that much after the show. My lady made me a lovely lasagna, which, oh, that was so good. And so I ate that, and then we had breakfast the next day, and then I was back on the plan. Um, so I really didn't gain much weight. I think now I'm sitting close to 280. This morning I was about 280 right after cardio. So a little bit of water. Um, but if I could come in, if I could come in at 268 to 266, mm -hmm. I feel like I would be almost inside out, and that would be awesome because that would be just a little bit sharper with hopefully a little bit more fullness from the last show. And uh, that's about the improvement I can make. Do all bodybuilders uh, utilize cardio training? No, not all of them. I do very little. Most bodybuilders do quite a bit more than me. I probably started cardio about three to four weeks before the West Coast Classic. So, and that was like a 12 week prep, but I really didn't do cardio for the first eight. Um, I do, I am pretty fortunate that I stay pretty lean. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I don't have much of a problem dieting aggressively. Um, have you ever been fat before? No, I was always like pretty much a mesomorph right in the middle. I was a strong kid with big bones, but not fat. Would you say most bodybuilders are probably kind of fall into that category, meso and ecto, right? I would think so. Them, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I feel mean, like I'm talking like the higher up guys, you know. Yeah, the higher up guys, you know, it's it's pretty rare. Like Dexter's Dexter Jackson's probably the best example of a guy who came from a skinny, skinny guy to a bodybuilder, and I don't really know that I can point out many others. You know, I'm not. Yeah, there's not a lot of guys I don't think too that were that were just fat. You know, because because accumulating a lot of fat, um, at least my understanding of it is those fat cells never really go away; they just shrink, right? That's what I've heard. I mean, I'm I'm pretty big in the bro science, so when it comes to the yeah, you know, all that stuff, I I really don't know what happens to those fat cells. I just you know, I, yeah, I guess you're right. I know Dallas McCarver was actually a pretty heavy dude. He was mm. like a, an offensive lineman, right? Um, and he got himself pretty lean. Um, who's your favorite bodybuilder of all time? Oh, I probably have three. I would say my top three are Dorian Yates, Kai Green, and uh, probably Charles Charles Glass. I really, I really value the bodybuilders that that embody the same ideologies that I do. Um, basically, I've picked those guys because I've learned the most from them. Mm. I mean, everything I know about training legs almost started from videos of Kai Green. Yeah, I told him that when I met him. You know, I was like, "Look, man, you basically are responsible for these things." You know, to an extent, and then Dorian's view on the lifestyle is, you know, unmatched. And I, I shouldn't say unmatched. I relate to it the most. You know, right. the way he talks about how he lived, I'm like, yeah, I can see that. I'm the same way. Um, I love them on Joe Rogan's podcast. I don't know if you got a chance. I, I listen to that. I listen. Oh, to, you but, need to listen to it. Okay. I yeah, you will. would. You would absolutely love it. It was. It was really, really good. He just talked about like, he just didn't fucking care. You know, he just wore these big baggy clothes and he knew he was getting in better shape. He knew he was getting leaner, but he, he kept everything hidden. It just wasn't his style to like, yeah. you know, wear a tank top or pull a shirt off. He's like, he's like, I pulled my shirt off for a living. I got paid for it, you know, so I did it on stage when it, when it mattered most. I always he just I, had a really cool mindset. I've always, that's one thing bodybuilding wise that I've, I've never been that guy. I've always kind of half admired and half not understood that mindset like my i have my roommate cyrus is a bodybuilder and he's kind of the same way i don't think that guy looks in the mirror at all you know he, he you know and it's like but i mean for me i've, I've always been like, yeah i want to train in a tank top hell yeah not even for other people i yeah. want to see what i look like as i get pumped up you know i've always been that guy 
but it's motivation. You start yeah. to see the shoulders coming out. You see the veins coming in. And you're like, okay, well, good. There's improvement. Um, for me, it would be hard to not to not know. You know, the improvements are are there and very black and white and very visual. Yeah. And so, like with strength and powerlifting, like you you would see it. Oh, there's an extra plate on the bar. Yeah, you know, or an extra ten or whatever it would be. Yeah, results. But with bodybuilding, that's that's one of the interesting things I always talk about bodybuilding as opposed to other sports for the people that call it a sport, you know. Um, there is no, like, come from behind or there is, you know, the sports drama is is still present in powerlifting, you know, the, the fact that the presence of will. Whereas in bodybuilding, that's like the one sport where, man, I don't care if you want to win more than the other guy on show day. If you didn't do the work for the whole 16 weeks, you know, you're not going to come. There's no upset, really. You know, um, but it is, I, it is weird, right? I mean, if yeah. you if you um, if you didn't eat properly, uh, you know, six weeks before six weeks, yeah, like six weeks is a long time. Yeah. If you didn't eat properly six weeks before the show, and probably even deeper into that, then there's a good chance that you fucked up your placing. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. You know, I wouldn't I mean, want to say that is, just because I don't want to be like there's no recovering from it. Yeah, right, but. But yeah, I mean, if you lose consistency for two weeks, eight weeks out from a show, you're kind of up shit creek. You know, I mean, if you miss a meal or two, you can recover from that. Sure, no problem. I mean, it's not acceptable. Don't, you know, don't think that that's acceptable for my bodybuilding life because I wouldn't think so. But, you know, yeah, if if you like, you know, say something happens and you get in a car accident and you lose a week and you can't yeah. get to, the, I mean, you're kind of fucked. Do you get really crazy with it? Like, I mean, you know, you do have to weigh a lot of things. Um I mean, I've seen people whip out scales before at restaurants and things like that. Like, do you get pretty nutty with it or? I mean, I, I trust my ability to, to eye eight ounces worth of protein good enough. You know, for one, I don't, I'm not, I'm not like, you know, 8.0 only, you know, if, if the chicken breast is 8.4, well, I'm going to eat the whole thing, right. you know, stuff like that. I mean, I, I weigh my food and I portion my food, but not at restaurants. You know, I mean, you can always ask, well, what, is that a half pound patty or a quarter pound patty? Okay, right. I want two of them. You know stuff like that, and it may not be one hundred percent accurate, but you're not going to you're not going to convince me that eight point five grams of protein is going to work differently in your body than eight point zero. Right. You know, I mean, come on. The, maybe it will a little bit, but are you going to notice? Probably not. Well, and it's uh, about you know it's it's about the long haul too, right? It's not about it's not even about the one show. Like it always feels like it's about the next show or the next thing, but it's not. It's about yeah further down the road for you. This show, you know, it's a big deal, and and you want to get your pro card and. You know, for the moment, it feels like it's everything, but even just the act of becoming a pro. Yeah. Well, now you got a whole nother stack of problems it's on your hands. It's just the beginning. Right? Yeah, that's what we, I remember when I won the West Coast, I, I told my girlfriend, because we were really excited, and and it was just such a great time. We had such a great time. We rode really high, and one of the things, I looked at her and I said, yo, check this out. This is literally the starting point, and we're already this excited. Like, that's what's cool. I think the best way to explain bodybuilding is, yeah, it's about the long haul and it's about consistency, but you have to forget about that and just do every day perfect. And then the consistent then the the long-term plan will fall into place exactly how it's supposed to. So when you're going through the process, you're like, "Nope. I got, you know, I always look at it like, all right, your day starts off at 100%. You miss a meal, well, you're automatically down 20%. You got an 80% day. You miss a workout, well, then you're at a 50% day, but you still got a chance to get 50% by getting all your food in. So that's kind of how I maintain mm. it. It's like, all right, that was a hundred percent day. Good. Let's try to get a hundred percent day tomorrow. And not you, easy to do. No, it's not easy to do. But the more hundred percent days you string together in a row, that's what I keep count of. And I'll be like, man, this was a great week. This was a hundred percent week, Monday through Friday. 
Well, you know. Yeah, you try that on for size, 100%. 100% every- week. And that's what I told my clients. I have a few clients that are like going on this prep journey with me right now. They start. Well, and even if you're coming time. from being 50%, 60%, and you're doing 70% the whole week, that's still a great week. Oh, yeah. It's an improvement. It's an improvement for sure. And Progress. you will see that difference. It will manifest itself in your physical appearance and your performance. I tell you, know, it will. And if you sit back and watch that happen, what more motivation do you need to continue to be consistent? That's really what it comes You're down right. to for me. It's like you see consistency working. That's all it takes. Now just keep going. Just ride that way. We, uh, we talk a ton on this show about losing weight and about getting lean, getting ripped. You know, people are always asking questions about, you know, losing some body fat. Give us a good rundown on how to get big. Because you mentioned you were you were a little thinner when you were younger and stuff like that. I'm going to use the bathroom for one second, but you can just keep uh, rolling through it. But just tell us, you know, some of the some of the principles of uh, from the time you were, you know, a teenager into now getting bigger. Okay. Well, um, yeah, Doug's getting bigger. Let's see. The first step, really, I always I always took into account was. You know, you want to try to eat like the guy you're trying to be, almost like dress for the job you want. And uh, so I go, you know, I mean, when I first started, I was a young kid and I was gung ho. And so I went as many freaking calories as I could eat. I would wake up and my breakfast was, you know, like eight eggs and oatmeal and protein powder. And I would blend it all together and just slam it on my way to work. And then what I would eat for my meals in the middle was I would cook. I remember like it was yesterday, four cups of rice two pounds of ground turkey, a can of green beans, and some kidney beans. And I would cook it all, put it in a pot, put a little bit of salsa on it, and put it in a big Tupperware. And then I would eat it. One-third at 10 o'clock, one-third at 1 o'clock, one-third at 5 o'clock. And then I would go to the gym, and then I would come home, and I would eat dinner. And I basically played around with those ideas food-wise until I found something that worked for me. And, of course, I had coaches and did my reading and did my research and, you know, and tried a whole bunch of different things, you know, steak and potatoes at night. Well, that's really not a good idea to eat a ribeye and potatoes at night. You're going to get fat. But, <laughs> you know, I tried it for a good while, and Whoops. it put on a good amount of weight. And, uh, and you know, I, I got bigger. And and as it progressed, you know, you get bigger and kind of softer, and then you sharpen it up a little bit. And as you build muscle, you're automatically going to sharpen up a little bit just because it burns more calories. Um, but food-wise, it was basically – the beginning was that. And, you know, this. I'll, I'll organize it like this so that it goes. We'll start with the beginning, and then we'll talk about later on as we got a little bit more intelligent when it came to bodybuilding. But the very basics was that for food. Um, that was probably a good two years of my life, working six days a week, selling computers. I'd cook that big pot of food, and I would eat it in three pieces every day. There were a lot of times I'd go get, like, four double quarter pounders with cheese from McDonald's and eat those and then go train. You know, like I said, I was... 21 22 so didn't have to worry about getting too fat at that point um i have always loved to train heavy and not necessarily like a power lifter but you know pyramiding up pyramiding back down you know heavy and i've always loved the old school lifts i was always attracted to old school bodybuilding methodology from the 80s and 90s and and stuff like that so you know bench press squat barbell row deadlift Anything where you're moving your body through space rather than moving weight through space. I realize that some of those, of course, are still moving weight through space, but you know, you're moving weight around your body or moving your body around weight. Less machines, less isolation. I feel like that's that's how you really build the real dense, hard 
muscular physique. Like, you know, a great example is like Chris Cormier. I mean, that guy was just big and full and strong. And these are the kind of guys, like, look at any guy who has, who they talk about able to incline press 500 pounds. If you know a guy that can incline press, you know, five wheels, he's probably pretty big, pretty hard, pretty strong, you know? Same with, you know, like, you just look at these guys that have over time performed these heavy compound movements. That's that's how you get big. In, in my opinion, that's how you get big. And the less steroids, growth hormone, and insulin you can use to get big, the more natural and flowing your physique will look. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't use any. doesn't mean you should. I'm just saying the less of that, the more like a normal human you'll look like, in my opinion, but just a bigger, more powerful one. Um, less like a troll. You know, something <laughs> right. like that. Yeah, a lot, a lot, of, uh, a lot of people just... Uh, they kind of write off bodybuilding a lot of times. I'm like, well, it's just, and even, and even the guys that help with diet, you know, some of the comments I saw on YouTube from about Hanny and stuff, they're like, oh, you just, he probably just helps everybody load up on tons and tons of drugs. And it's like, well, that, of course, you know, we already, that's not, it's not a really secret. You know, yeah. we saw, we all saw bigger, stronger, faster. We know what happens in that movie. And I always say, if you have to yeah. ask that I'm doing something really wrong, you yeah, know, right. if you have to wonder whether or not I'm, I'm natural or not, then. I'm not very good at this, you know? <laughs> right. Right. And, uh, you know, I think that a lot of people just kind of push it off to that. But like you were mentioning uh, earlier, you know, you make make the progress. <clears throat> and uh, it's very simple. Like to gain size, to gain mass is actually very simple. Trying to lean out and stuff, not that it's complicated. It's just that it's difficult because there's uh, so much convenience of food. Yeah. You can get food at any store, any gas station. It's all over the place. And the urge to want to eat more is always there. And the food tastes real. Everything tastes really good. Uh, so trying to abstain and trying to pull way back on your food is actually a really difficult thing. But to, to get big, you know, you eat big, you lift big. You've kind of heard people say that for a yeah. long time. Rest. Rest. and Get some yeah. good sleep. Like, like Lee Haney, he's real famous for saying, this is all bodybuilding is. You feed the muscle. Train the muscle and rest the muscle. I mean, it's as simple as that. Stimulate, don't annihilate. You know, there's all kinds of idioms. Yeah. I will disagree with you in saying that getting big is not simple. Mm. I don't feel like it's simple at all. I feel like there is just as much importance in your off-season nutrition as there is in your pre-contest nutrition. Now, it's, Maybe that's where some people are going wrong. I, I think it really is because these people that get big, like, you know, how many times you met a guy that says, oh, man, I was 260 once and it was just so heavy I couldn't even walk up the stairs. You know, and you're like, well, okay, you probably shouldn't have been 260 at that point in time then. You know, because I truly believe our body wants to be comfortable. No matter what it's doing, it's going to prepare, it's going to perform better when it's in a state with lowered inflammation, lowered stress, and good digestion. And so, you know, when when you're, you know, trying to, you know, eat a surplus of 2,000 calories a day so that you can grow, the challenge becomes what? 8,000 calories am I going to be able to digest this day where I can still get up and eat tomorrow? My stomach won't be so bloated and I won't be so gassy and I can actually walk up a flight of stairs, let alone squat 600 pounds for eight reps, you know, something like that. It's like, you, you got to be ready to go to war. I mean, the off season is when you go to war. So yeah, you have ample calories, but you know, you got to, you can't tell me you're going to eat a pizza and then go fight a street fight against Brock Lesnar, <laughs> you know? Which, I mean, that's what we're doing. We're moving 400 right. pounds around. It's serious business. So I really feel like, you know, there's just as much work in the off season as there is 
pre-contest, it's just a little bit more comfortable work. I mean, personally, I mean, I'm so, I, I believe this so much that I actually would prefer to be on a pre-contest diet than in the middle of a, you know, aggressive bulking cycle any day of the week, you know? You just get so tired of, of, of uh, consuming all that food. Oh, yeah, man. I'll tell you, last year, it got to the point in which I was eating a dozen eggs for breakfast with two cups of oats, two, two scoops of whey protein, and then the four meals I had in the middle of the day were 12 to 15 ounce portions of protein with at least 150 grams carbs in, you know, four times within an eight hour period. And then dinner of, you know, a 10 to 12 ounce steak with eggs and spinach, you know, but yes, it's a challenge to eat all that food because it's clean. Yeah. I could go ahead and go get a burger and that'd be much easier to eat than, you know, 12 ounces of ground beef with two cups of rice and six ounces of sweet potato, you know, and then some olive oil or whatever else is in there because, but my body can digest all that and, and, that's what I eat to go to war. There's a guy named uh, Blaine Sumner who's a powerlifter. He's squatted over 1,100 pounds, and he's just—he's like, yeah. What that feels like oh, he's back. a monster, monster, really big dude, really strong. But he uh, makes a lot of like shakes that have meat in them. You know, <laughs> yeah. He'll blend up like, and I know that bodybuilders—they—they got to again bodybuilding specific. They do things a certain way for certain reasons. But this guy's a powerlifter. But he'll take like avocados and chicken and oh, steak. Yeah, I've done and that he just, before. He just, that. he just fucking throws it all in there together. And the, one of the guys that made it famous was uh, Derek Poundstone, who yep, used to I be. Know, a, I remember that guy. Yeah, he used to be a, a strongman athlete, and actually at 300 pounds was 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 pretty lean. I remember seeing him. I thought he was heavier than 300 pounds at one point. He was probably like 350 at some yeah. point. Yeah. I remember seeing him doing a doing like 20 dead hang pull-ups at 350 pounds. I was like, that's just ridiculous. Yeah, he he was a monster. All but yeah, he made are. it he made it famous, the chicken shake, where he just like blend up chicken and everybody thought it was so gross and he shot videos of him uh, drinking this chicken shake. People were like, that's disgusting. He's like, you think that's gross? He's like, you're lucky you never saw me drinking the tuna shake. He's like that. That made my mercury uh, go through the roof. So he had to. He had to stop doing that. But it's like you just figure out a way. Yeah. I mean, I I've tried the I, when I worked at the computer store. I used to do that for. I remember I'd get instant mashed potatoes, green beans, and chicken breast, and put water in there and blend it up. Boom. They'd call it my gravy shake. Right. You know, and it really tasted pretty good. It's not a big deal. <laughs> you put that shit in the microwave. It's like soup. Right. You know. But I remember, yeah, I've Rich Piana shake. talks about, you know, or used to talk about, yeah. you know, his egg whites and oatmeal. I swear to God, I've been doing that for five, six years. Yeah. You know, there's it makes more sense than anything. I mean, even still, post-workout, my shake, right after I finish training, I have two scoops of whey, a cup of oats, and I take a whole 16-ounce thing of egg whites and dump it in there, shake it up, and drink it. I drink that at the gym every day. And people are like, you drink egg whites? I'm like, it literally tastes like watered-down 1% milk. Yeah. I mean, come yeah. on, people, you're crazy. It doesn't. It doesn't have much flavor. No, to not it. at all. It just sounds disgusting, right? Well, and it's just like I mean, water. Don't get me wrong. Water is very important, but if you're gonna drink a protein shake, you might as well get as much protein in there as you can. Right. You know. Yeah, it's hard to uh, it's hard to consume. You know that that um, that volume that's of food and try to clear it out. It each is, time. and to get your body in shape to do it, I feel like it. it, it there's a level of fitness you know call it whatever you want gastric wellness or you know <laughs> digestive fitness whatever but it, there's a level of conditioning that comes with it and you know you know that that's true when if you're a bodybuilder and you eat like that for a while and then you take a couple of days off and you're like shit i'm hungry shit i'm hungry shit every every two hours on the dot 
because yeah. your body gets used to it. Your metabolism starts going crazy. With that amount of food, you got any poop stories for us? Oh, man. <laughs> I got a couple. Here's a good one. This actually, it doesn't have to do with the amount of food, but at one point back in the day, I had an, a Neapolitan Mastiff. His name was Flex, and he was a 200-pound dog that used to sleep on my bed with his head on my chest. And at one point, I had gotten a bottle of this carnivore blue raspberry beef protein. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I, you know, it did not sit well with me. I remember I drank a big shake before bed, and then I went to the bathroom, and my shit was bright blue, just like the blue raspberry shake. I mean, literally, it's like I didn't even digest it. It just <laughs> went right through. I've, and, had, I've had protein powder like that before. It did the same thing to me. Oh, my God. It was terrible. And I guess I went to the bathroom, didn't flush the toilet. Whatever, I go back, lay down in bed, and I wake up in the morning, and my dog's head is on my chest with blue shit all oh. over my chest because he's a Neapolitan massive. You know, it's all over his Oh, my God. It was the most disgusting in the world. I have not ever touched that protein again. <laughs> you had to give the dog away, too. <laughs> no, he was a, I love that dog so much. I kept it, but I was pissed. Surely closed the toilet bowl for the rest of my life. Oh, my God. <laughs> that scarred me for life. Sorry, muscle meds. <laughs> what do you got coming up next uh i know you got the show and you said it's uh at the towards the end of this month correct? yeah yeah towards the end of this month is that and that's where my i mean i don't really think past that right obviously a lot depends as far as competition for the rest of the year a lot depends on this one um you know i i really we'll see what happens i just i say this all the time i don't even really have a plan necessarily i mean obviously i have a goal i want I always tell people, I want that Olympia sweatsuit. You know, I don't, the trophy, sure, that'd be great and everything, but I want to be one of those 20 guys that gets that sweatsuit every year, that gets to sit there and, and be part of the paramount of their professional environment. Yeah, you know, that's awesome. That's, that's my main goal is to do that. But the beauty for me is, and every day I learn it more and see it more, the beauty is literally in the journey. I mean, I mean, this is a perfect example. This podcast here literally from being at Gold's and training hard and just doing what I love to do, opportunities like this come to me, and I just try to take advantage of every single one and just explore, you know, live the journey. And shit, I'm kind of trying, I'm finding out that some people actually like to hear what I have to say. So sure, we'll talk more, you know, um, but it's just about doing the best you can every single day. That's, that's what I think about. Well, people love to hear from people that are just doing stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I do. I listen to it all the time. When, you pe know? when people are being productive and they're doing shit, um, cause we need it, you know, we, we need the motivation. There's a lot of things, uh, distracting us one way or the other. Um, how do you, how do you kind of avoid some of the pitfalls of, of social media or your, or just your phone in general to, to really get and buckle down with your training? Cause you do have to communicate with a lot of people. You do have to text back and forth. And yeah. so you got any kind of rules of thumb on, on some different things that you do with that? Well, I mean, I've never really been a big social media guy. Um, I mean, I like social media and, and I use it, but it's been very easy for me to literally consider it a business thing. Um, and so, so that's therefore been, you put like business hours into it and that's yeah, kind of, you leave pretty it much that. it. When I'm, when I'm home with the lady, I try pretty hard to put my phone away. You know, I get up at 4am, so it's not as though I'm up late. So a lot of times people text me at like 730 and the next morning I'll get it and be like, what the hell are you doing? Text me in the middle of the night. <laughs> but then I'm like, no, it's only 730. Um, <laughs> you know, but, uh. But as far as, you know, the, you know, like when I'm training, I'm lucky enough, Phil, Phil's my, one of my good trainers, I train with Phil and Charles. 
um, both great dudes. But Phil is, you know, his profession is he's a commercial director. So he directs, you know, advertising commercials. Oh, cool. And he's nice enough to film most of the stuff that we do in the gym while we're doing it. So I don't even really have to think about it much. And oh, then I get him. works out really good. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. Awesome. So at the end of the day, you know, after we're training, I usually get some WhatsApp messages with pictures and videos. And then I just kind of, you know, I just try to think during the day about what I want to post. And one rule of thumb that I use for the things that I do post is you don't look for something to post. You finish your day and then you think, what was something that that I experienced that I think is worth talking about. Yeah. What is something that I want to share? And so in doing that, I feel like, I feel like you're, you put a little bit more thought into what you're doing and it's a little bit less for, for like the amount of likes you get. I mean, of course it's always really cool when you post something, you get, you know, two, 3000 likes. You're like, yeah, this is awesome. But you know, that's, it says on my thing, it's a personal blog. That's what I'm doing is talking about what I'm doing. So when, when I look at it that way, it's a little bit more of like, what, you know, what are these people going to, you know, what happened today that people want to know about that people might also experience. Mm. And I've just looked at it that way because, you know, as a trainer, I always tell people, I've already made these mistakes. You don't have to, you know, I mean, that's kind of what we do is, you know, the trainer has already made these mistakes and these pitfalls. So we show you how to avoid them and get better at what you're doing. So these are just my mistakes or the culmination of not making mistakes is what I display on Instagram. Have you shared some of the stories that you shared with us today? Actually, no. This is the first time I've ever talked about that publicly, um, the substance abuse. Um, and, uh, you know, it's good to talk about it. Like you yeah. kind of said, it's good to get it out there. And I do feel like I have something to offer there. You know, I actually had a real close friend call me yesterday saying he's struggling with opiates. And I, I found myself really fervent about giving him advice. You know, I was like, look, I know that you probably don't want to hear this right now because I've been in your shoes and I wouldn't want to hear it either, but I'm going to tell you anyway because I love you. And you have to know that one thing I told him was, look, man, you got to know that pretty much every guy that you go talk to has had this experience or this struggle in one way or another in his life and is not going to think you're as shitty as you already think you are. And that's what I think is one of the biggest things about for one, it's one of the biggest things about life is just understanding that, you know, we can, we're pretty hard on ourselves all the time. Yeah. And that's why we don't do things is because we don't think we're worthy of them or we don't think we're capable of them. It's like, it, the more you talk about it, the more you see, you know, everybody else is doing all this stuff too. It's almost like the four minute mile principle. Like you were saying, we need to see more people doing good because that just makes us believe that we can do good. And the least, the less perfect the person is that's doing good, the better. Because that's yeah. more and more relatable. So, yeah, I mean, that's a big thing. But, no, I've never shared that before. So, wow. Uh, what was it like when you when you shared that with your mom? Because you talked about kind of people being, you know, not, not, not basically people feeling like shit about trying to opening, open up. Um, you know, I'm sure your mom was, like, disappointed, but I'm sure she didn't, like, stiff arm you right well you know i mean one thing that was nice it wasn't difficult to share it with my mom because well i was begging for her help at the time you know i mean she found out on her own um and my mother handled it in retrospect i think it was the absolute best way to handle it and i've encouraged my mother to also share this with other mothers in these situations because you know i remember i was in jail and i called my mom and, you know, the jail, they make you pay. You know, you got to buy the phone card or whatever to talk on the phone. <clears throat> but the first call is free. And so I call my mom. Mom, I'm here. This is what happened. And 
blah, blah, blah. She, she goes, well, I'm not going to put any money on this card. Uh, you can write me letters if you want. But I need you to know that you're there and this is on you. When you're ready and you're good, you can come back and I'm here for you. I love you like nothing else. And I want you to write me. I want you to talk to me. But you're an adult and this is on you. She did the same thing when I was in high school. I was ditching school. I was sitting at home one day and she opens the door and says, huh, she said, give me your key. And I was like, what? And she said, wait, well, too smart to go to school. You're damn sure too smart to live at home, huh? You know, that's the way my mom raised me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but looking back, that's the best thing she could have ever did for me because, you know, the harder a mistake feels, the less likely you are to do it again, <laughs> you know? But uh, my mom and I, I really, really, really tried to to destroy that relationship through my young my late adolescence and young adulthood i really did i was really an asshole and uh but now she is my you know she's my main counsel and she's i talk to her probably twice three times four times a week you know she's the most important person in my life and she has never judged me that's one thing that i always say is you know, my mother never once browbeat me or judged me, you know, but she always was like, mm, I don't think that's a good decision, but you go ahead and make it if you like. These are the consequences that I can see, and they're the consequences you will feel, not me. So do what you like. <laughs> I <laughs> right. mean, that's, but, you know, yeah, that saved my life. And I feel like if I ever have kids, I'll do the same thing. Look, this is the knowledge I have to impart for you, but you are your own person. So you make that decision. Yeah, my brother, you know, he's my best friend and he, you know, he wouldn't share a lot of what was going on with him, uh, you know, four year, four or five years ago. You know, yeah. he wouldn't, he wouldn't really tell. My oldest brother, we always kind of knew he had, <clears throat> he had a variety of different problems. But with Chris, you know, he didn't want to say anything because he just thought it'd be so disappointing. Yeah. And it's like, that's actually the last thing that I would really, I, I wouldn't, I would be upset that you're in a bad position. And I would be upset that maybe I wouldn't have all the right things to help or whatever. That, that's that that would be the extent of it. And then I'd be like, okay, let's let's figure this out together. And ultimately, that's what we did. Yeah. You know, when he finally did come to me and kind of, you know, told me. But it was his girlfriend that saved that saved his life. His girlfriend Lauren. She called me, and we communicated. And uh, <clears throat> I was getting you know st stuff from his friends were texting me every once in a while. Oh, man, he's in a bad spot. Yeah. Then I'd call them, and uh, they're like, "Ah, you know what? He, he's doing a little better because he was really up and down. Yeah, his alcoholism was uh, was actually now that we know more, it was typical, but it just wasn't uh, what you visualize when you when you watch TV. Yeah, and you see what how they paint the picture of an alcoholic. He was not that standard typical alcoholic. He would just get hammered like he's a binger. He's a binger. Yeah." It would be just periodically as he'd go six weeks without and he'd be fine. And then bam, that's, that's what my, that's exactly how, uh, you know, I say my recovery, but you know, that's how my addiction has always been. It's always go as hard as you fucking can until either you stop, you run out of money or you get arrested and then you're good for a while. You keep it together and then the wheels fall off and there you go again. Yeah. I can relate to that. Yeah. And then, so, I mean, once, you know, once we were able to get the information together, it was like, well, Let's just get a game plan together. Let's figure out, you know, and yeah. send to rehab. And the rest has been, it, it's been a huge recovering process for him. And I think that's uh, wise of you to, to, to look at it as you're still. You're always, yeah. you always live with that. I feel like that's, it's kind of like, you know, just like depression or 
man, you know, bipolar disorder or something like that. I always think back, you know, in the 1930s and 40s and 20s and the 1800s. I mean, those mental disorders and chemical imbalances were obviously still there, maybe not in the same amount or something like yeah. that. But people <clears throat> just lived with them. And they, you know, they either died or fell off the earth, you know, fell out of society, right? Or they didn't. And we, I think we kind of forget that this is still a choice you have to make, even as an addict. You know, it's not like, it's not like one day, you know, your desire to party is going to go away. I mean, and you really have to be honest with yourself. Doing drugs is fun when you do them. You know, I mean, yeah, that's, that's why we start doing them. But we have to understand that, man, that's just not the hand. I mean, I look at it like this. That's just not the hand I was dealt. I don't get to be that guy, you know, <laughs> because I'm not able to function in society that way. And I feel like that's how I've, you know, why people should, we got to live with that, you know? Yeah, it sucks. I'm sorry. Just like people that live with other disabilities and diabetes. Yeah, that shit sucks. But do you want to live or do you want to die? You know, pick because those are the only two choices you have. And there's only one person who makes that choice. And that's you when it comes down to it. You have to work through it. You must. Got to do the work. Got to do the work. And this is, I mean, these are all things that you can apply to every, every aspect of life in general. Got to do the work. Eat what you kill, you know, do the hard stuff, all of it. Just do the work. Where can people find you? I'm at Gold's Gym Venice pretty much every day. Um, Instagram at Douglas Fruche. I have a Facebook page called Fruche Training. Don't use that one as much. It never took off. So right now it's still Instagram. I'm working on a website, but I'm also working on a national championship. So that takes precedence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you have a YouTube channel? Not yet. No. Oh, okay. All, you know, all this stuff kind of just on Instagram, on Instagram and Facebook. There are some cool YouTube videos that we've put up. Uh, me and Lance Keys did some. You can see, I mean, one or two of them with Michael Hearn. That's always great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no channel yet. It's coming though. It's coming. You As got I any start... sponsors you'd like to thank or anybody you want to plug on your way out here? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, Other than Slingshot. <laughs> slingshot, definitely. I tell you, I have a Slingshot in the bottom of my gym bag. I used it. There's a video of me benching 500 pounds in Albuquerque, New Mexico with a Slingshot on oh. YouTube. Awesome. I got to find that. Yeah. Um, let's see. Very sponsors. Cool. House of Pain has been really cool. They're not like, I haven't signed with anybody, but mm -hmm. you know, House of Pain out of St. Louis, those guys have, are awesome. They really love the bodybuilding lifestyle. Sent me some cool clothes. Um, definitely love representing them. Chaos Nutrition. They're out of Arizona. It's just a bunch of guys that used to be with 5% nutrition and really carried that mentality from the 5% nutrition when Rich was still there, which I really identified with just community and uplifting so those guys are really cool you can find them on instagram and then uh local company here coast cryo does all my cryotherapy i actually train the owner but he's on washington if you're local in la washington just west of lincoln coast cryo and of course just i mean gosh if you haven't been to gold's gym yet i mean they don't sponsor me i don't care i love that place and you got to go there yeah it is it's, it's an it's an awesome spot i always tell people that's why i moved here I don't even like the beach that much. You know, I love Gold's Venice. Have you been in the ocean? I have. I was just there <laughs> yesterday. Yeah, all right. That's all the time we got. Oh, strength is never a weakness. Weakness is never a strength. Catch you guys later.